Welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson. I am your host, and I am here once again with our Director of Adult Discipleship and my mother, Denise Robinson. Glad you came back. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. It was okay. So today, that made me feel very confident. Um, So today we are talking about spiritual gifts. And the question that we're answering is, how do I use spiritual gifts? And the reason that we're going through this question is because I would say more than 50% of the Google search terms that are coming to our website every single month are asking questions about spiritual gifts. Uh, where can I find my spiritual gift in the Bible? How do I figure out what my spiritual gift is? People asking questions like, what career should I pursue if my spiritual gift is giving? And so we're going to have a conversation about this because uh, this church, Treach Memorial United Methodist Church, has actually done a lot of work around spiritual gifts, understanding our gifts, uh, what they're for, how we use them, what we can. So we're going to get into all of that today. And I am very excited. Why do we highlight spiritual gifts? Well, you know, it's pretty much biblical. And we believe here that biblical relevance is a value to us. And so that's why we, we highlight spiritual gifts is from the biblical concept of spiritual gifts. But before we even talk about spiritual gifts, we need to take a one step back and talk about serving because really spiritual gifts ties in with serving. So why do we put so much emphasis in serving? Do you have any ideas? Probably because Jesus asked us to. There you go. That's exactly right. <laughs> the Sunday school answer. That is. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. And so really and truly, there are two very important concepts to note about serving. And that's we serve to both glorify God and to bless others, which is, you know, an easy way of saying love God and love people. And there's two really good biblical examples of that. One is the Ten Commandments. The first four, can you think of any of them? They're all about loving God. Can you think of any? Oh, well, I don't know the order of the commandments, but I guess based on what Jesus said, uh, love God above all else and love, treat others how you want to be treated, love others as yourself. So are those the first two? And then after that? Well, the first four commandments, no, the first four commandments all deal with how we love God, honor the Sabbath, don't take God's name in vain you know, those, those kind of things in our relationship with God. And then the final six commandments are all, all about our relationship with people. So that's one really strong example of why we glorify God and love people. And then Jesus talked about what you were referencing, which is when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He was asked what the greatest commandment was, and he actually gave two commandments as great. So he kind of took the Ten Commandments and boiled it down into two, which is love God and love people. So that's why we serve. And then spiritual gifts come in when Paul is writing the letters to the early church and saying, here's how you live. And here's how you serve. So that's where spiritual gifts come in. So what does the Bible say specifically about spiritual gifts? So we actually can find spiritual gifts listed in four different places in the Bible. They're all in the letters of Paul. Um, Well, Romans isn't a letter of Paul, but 
we have Romans chapter 12. We don't know who the author of that is. Um, actually, let's scrap that. Paul is the author of Romans. That's what I thought, but I wasn't going to like try and school you. I'm no. like, oh, well, you're very, yeah, I uh, was thinking ahead. I you're was a thinking, Bible scholar. In so. my head, I was thinking Hebrews, but it's not. It's Romans chapter 12. <laughs> so the letters of Paul, Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, two places, one at the beginning of 1 Corinthians and one at the end of 1 Corinthians and then in Ephesians. Those are the three places that we have. Uh, four places that we have specific references to um, spiritual gifts, the most prominent being Romans chapter 12, where it's probably a familiar passage to you, but it's where Paul actually talks about, hey, there's different parts of the body, and, and you use all of those different parts of the body differently. It's the same for us in the Christian world is there's different gifts that each of us have, and we use all of those differently. How are spiritual gifts supposed to be used? Because I know you've talked about service. Um, is it always in service to others, or uh, is there multiple ways that spiritual gifts can be used outside of service? Because I told you one of the big questions is talking, it's more like a career aptitude thing of like, what career should I pursue if I have this gift, you know, things like that. Can we expand what spiritual gifts are used for? So spiritual gifts are to be used for building up the body of Christ and loving God by serving others. So when I say building up the body of Christ, I don't mean adding to its number. Like, oh, do you believe in Jesus? Okay, we've built up the body of Christ. I mean encouraging, equipping, renewing. All of that is how it's more encouraging is what building up the body of Christ is. So that's what service is all about. And that's what using our spiritual gifts are all about. So I have people come to me all the time that take a spiritual gifts assessment, either the one we offer, which is called Gifted to Serve Discovery, or others that you can find online, and they say, I have been a teacher for 30 years, and teaching isn't one of my spiritual gifts. That's because as a teacher, you're teaching biology, and you're really good at that, and that's great, and that's wonderful. Teaching for a spiritual gift is about teaching biblical ideas, faith ideas, which is totally outside of the classroom. More people than not do not utilize their spiritual gifts in their profession. There are exceptions to that. For example, um, well, I get to do it. I get to use my spiritual Mm -hmm. gift in my profession. But the, you know, an example would be in some of our um, healthcare communities that often they'll have a gift of mercy and we'll be utilizing that in their field. Um, healthcare, um, mental health care professionals often use their spiritual gifts in their field. But for the most part, no. The mm-hmm. career has nothing to do with your spiritual gifts. Well, and administration is also a gift. And I found that a lot of people with the spiritual gift of administration uh, use that in their work as well. Because not only is it something they're good at, it's something that they br- that brings them joy of organizing. But they might not be using it as a spiritual gift because they're not using it to love God and love people in their job. Mm. They could be, but they're they're but within using it as their spiritual gift, it's all about loving God and loving people. 
What about in relationship? Because we have some people who ask questions about like, how can I use my spiritual gift in relationships, whether it be romantic, friendship, acquaintances? Is there a connection there? I personally don't think so. I think that's more about just getting to know yourself and, you know, relationships. It's it's always good to know a level of your self. My spiritual gift is teaching. And so I actually had to guard against as a mother and as as a spouse of throwing too much teaching in the relationship. I actually remember, Alyssa, one time you said to me, I have a question for you, but don't go throwing the Bible at me. (laughs) And it was because I had to remember just because I have the spiritual gift of teaching, this conversation isn't the place. Well, and there's the line because I remember thinking that of like, there is a line between teaching and lecturing. And it started as your teenage daughter to feel like lecturing. Maybe there was a little bit more behind it for you of trying to teach me something than there would be if you were just teaching to a classroom of people. Exactly. And in those, often in relationships, now I'm not going to say, so there is a lot of serving in relationships. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what I was thinking like, Oh, well maybe it's how am I serving my partner? How am I serving the people that I love and how am I using my gifts to benefit the people I've chosen to do life with? So when you're using your spiritual gifts to, to serve and form new relationships, that's a beautiful thing. If your closest relationships, you're using your spiritual gifts as a weapon, that can be a problem. Mm. And so you just have to really, it's, it's not, that's not the goal. The goal is to love God and love people and to serve as really as a form of your lifestyle, as a part of your lifestyle. So could you walk us through, because we have this gifted to serve discovery, which you can access at tmumc.org slash gifted. And we have people who are a part of this church community take it. And we have people all over the world who choose to take it. We've had people from Florida. We've had people from outside of the country who have taken this assessment just for their own personal knowledge. So it's really helpful. But I think that we lay out 20 different spiritual gifts. And so would you mind running through through those really quickly at a high level. And, and if any of them need definition, like some of them might not be more obvious than others. Could you, could you give us that summary? So sure. We have, we identify at TREACH the 20 spiritual gifts that are located in the Bible verses I already mentioned. And so in that, that includes what we call the sign gifts, which are healing miracles, speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. Very few people have those particular spiritual gifts because they're more mystical sign gifts. And But we include that because it's in Scripture. Like I said, you can go do a, an assessment online that's not ours, and you'll get, you might even get different language for spiritual gifts. So there's not this standard, everybody the world over is using these 20 spiritual gifts. We have chosen to take the ones out of scripture and they are apostleship, administration, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith, giving, healing, which is one of the sign gifts, help, interpretation, which is a sign gift as well, knowledge, leadership, mercy, miracles, proclamation, service, shepherding, teaching, 
tongues, a sign gift as well, and wisdom. So I had that list in front of me. Don't think that I had that memorized. <laughs> I can't just spout them all off. Well, and I that is a lot of information. So I want to encourage y'all to go to tmumc.org slash gifted. And we actually have resources and definitions around each of those spiritual gifts so that if one of those caught your ear, uh, you can go and learn more about it. But I want to talk about you for a second. What are your spiritual gifts and how do you use them? So I actually have one spiritual gift, one out of 20. Oh, can you also explain like why you only have one and some other people might have three or four? Yeah. So one of the things we do in our culture, in the Western culture, is we get a list and we go one, two, three, four, five up. here's my five spiritual gifts, but that's not really how it works. You're looking for in your scoring, you're looking for the breaks. So if something really rises to the top, that would be your main spiritual gifts. And, and mine is teaching and it really rises to the top. And so that I am fortunate enough to be director of adult discipleship and connections, which means I get to use that spiritual gift in my profession of teaching both. But teaching, so teaching was so far ahead of any other spiritual else. gift. You're going to say, that's my only gift. And I'm going to lean into that one while someone else might have two or three that are within a range of each other that it's like, yeah, you got all three of those. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's kind of what rises to the top. And so if you do take a spiritual, the gifted to serve discovery on our website, which you already referenced. I actually send you a report of what your spiritual gift is within a week. I try to do it within 48 hours, but sometimes life gets in the way. But within a week, that kind of lets you know what your spiritual gift is. And and that's helpful, really helpful. And teaching as a spiritual gift is about teaching the Bible and faith. It's, again, not about teaching you know, the history of the church or, you know, that would be something else. That would be knowledge. That wouldn't be teaching. So yeah, it's about teaching the Bible and faith concepts. Hmm. So I um, recently took, in preparation for this episode, I took the gifted to serve discovery again, which I realized I had not taken it for maybe six years. And um, my results came back the same as I did six years ago with a little change. So my top spiritual gift is discernment, um, which I've always struggled with because I feel like that's one of the more abstract gifts of like teaching is pretty straightforward. Um, Affirmate or encouragement exhortation is pretty straightforward. There are some of them that are pretty self-explanatory discernment seems like a lot of gray to me. And I've always struggled with how to implement that. But I also had a little bit of a change in that when I took it six years ago, that was my only gift. I had not, I had nothing else even close to that. And when I took it this time around, I got knowledge as one of my gifts. It still wasn't above discernment. Discernment is still my number one gift, but I think it's interesting that uh, my gifts changed a little bit over time, I would venture to guess it's because 
I'm working at a church. And as a result of that, I'm reading scripture more. I'm researching more. I'm digging into content more about spirituality. I'm creating content around spirituality. And so my knowledge has grown and I feel much more confident in that than I ever did before. And that's really true. The And, and let's be honest. So spiritual, your spiritual gifts rarely change in your lifetime. However, you are answering a bunch of random questions that range in answers from never to always. And how you interpret a question on any particular day can have a variance in it. And so that you're absolutely right that how you answered those knowledge questions probably was different now than when you originally took it. I know for myself, I have been doing uh, spiritual gifts assessments the entire time that I have been in ministry, which is since I was in my 20s, and teaching always came up at the top. Now, that doesn't mean that every person likes my particular teaching style, but it does mean that I still have that spiritual gift. Discernment, you talked about it being a little mysterious, really and truly, discernment is a, a gift that most people wish they had. I wish I had discernment. So it's nice that someone in the family does. <laughs> but discernment is the ability to separate truth from falsehoods and be able to recognize it. Um, you have a a little bit of a BS guide built into your your system with knowing discernment. And, and that's something that you can use. Discernment can be used in a healthy way discernment could be used in an unhealthy way. So you have to figure out the way to use discernment because really and truly it's sharing with people what God is calling, helping them to discern what God is calling them to do. See, and that's where I get hung up is like discernment for myself and my life. Yeah. I love having that gift. Like it is very, usually the path forward is very clear to me of like what I need to do next. And I think that it, it it's something that has come very naturally to me. And I have had the gift of discernment since I was a teenager. Um, and people always told me I was an old soul. I'm wise beyond my years, all of these things. When the truth is I've just always been very discerning, but when it comes to discernment as a service to others. That's where I get hung up on like, okay, how am I actually using this gift to serve other people? Because it usually comes like nobody likes the person to say, "Mm, I don't think that that's the path or I don't think that's accurate or whatever it is, or there's a little bit of false teaching going on here. It's tough to be that person. But how you utilize that is completely up to you. So what you can do is you can help someone walk that path themselves because they don't have the gift of discernment. And you can say, oh, why don't we make a list of pros and cons? Why don't we talk through each of these? What You, you can help them get there with your own gift of discernment. But I tell you what, one of the big things in a church is discernment is a great gift for settling disputes. And I hate to tell everybody out there, but... Disputes happen within the church all the time. (laughs) And so that's... I think everybody knows that. (laughs) I think we're pretty on board with that concept. So yeah, that's a great way. And then also separating false teaching from, from, from truth is very important because 
I know I tend to believe everything I read or everything I see. And so I've had to learn to step back and say, now, how does this really line up with what I know about God and what I know about Jesus? And, and you, however, can pick up on that right away. Mm-hmm. And that's a gift to be shared. Maybe not share, maybe not, maybe you don't share with, like this. You don't say, hey, mom, what you're reading is, is, you know, worthless there. That's false teaching. Maybe you share, you know, there's ways to look at things differently. Mm-hmm. And I would look at this a little more carefully before I believed everything that you're hearing. And, you know, so ways to walk people through that, if that makes sense to you. So it, it does. Um, so when people are taking their gifted to serve discovery, are these the kinds of conversations that they get to have? Because we also, so we have the gifted to serve discovery and we also offer a gifted to serve class. So I learn my spiritual gifts and then I get to talk to somebody about how can I use this gift in a healthy way? What are some warning signs if I'm using this gift in an unhealthy way? Is that all part of this process? Yes, the the class gifted to the next steps gifted to serve discovery class actually helps you unpack it. But I'm going to go one step further. We're just talking about spiritual gifts and our gifted to serve discovery really combines three areas of your life and it is eye-opening and changes the way you serve and that's combining passion with spiritual gifts and ministry style. And when you combine all of those three together, it makes a huge difference in how you serve. I had always, in all my years of church world, focused on spiritual gifts. It wasn't until about 15 years ago where I combined this concept of passion and ministry style that changed everything. So combining those makes a huge difference. So can you tell me a little bit about ministry style and and what that means? So yeah, ministry style is about how you relate to people, like how your energy is related, whether you're task-oriented or people-oriented, that's your energy, and then how you're organized. So it's like a big graph that puts you in a quadrant. And how you're organized is, are you structured or unstructured? And knowing that about yourself, now, unstructured doesn't mean you love chaos. It just unstructured means that you you like to serve in an environment that's more generally described, whereas structured is you want to have a list of things handed to you, and this is what your expectations are ahead of time. So ministry style is like not serving within your ministry style is like signing your name with your non-dominant hand. Try that sometime, and you'll find out it takes longer, it's uncomfortable, it's even laughable at the results. And so when you serve outside of your ministry style, it feels that awkward. And so knowing that about yourself, where you get energy and how you're structured makes all the difference in the world and the serving opportunities you are want to do on a regular basis. So there are four different ministry styles, right? Yes. Okay. Can you walk us through those four and what they mean? Sure. So, um, there, and, First of all, 
I'll be totally honest. I don't like the names of them. And we got the <laughs> names of them from somebody else. And here's why I don't like the name of them, because I fall in the quadrant called pleaser. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not a pleaser. And then I started reading what a pleaser really is. And it, it what falls in that. So someone that is called a director is somebody that likes to serve in an environment that is more task oriented than people oriented. It doesn't mean they won't have people interaction. It means that they want to have task completion as a major part of their serving experience. And they are also want to be in a structured environment so that they are given the, the how's, what's, wins, where's all ahead of time and the expectations and everything's clearly laid out. So that's a director. So when I think of director, and let me know if this needs to be a language correction, because you already said you don't like the names, is director, like if you're a a director ministry style, you want to be the leader? Because that's what I think of, of director. And not necessarily, no. But it is somebody that, that's exactly right. That's why I don't necessarily love the name, because they don't want to necessarily be in charge, but they do want to be taxed task oriented. Mm -hmm. They want, usually a director is energetic. Usually they're focused on the results that you get. Um, They hate to waste time. They're usually highly organized. So that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to be the leader of the, of the group. Uh, Recently, I had someone that, that took the next steps gifted to serve discovery and she's in retirement age now. And she was worried because she's listed as a director and she's like, I don't want to lead anything. But for her, where she can serve is in environments like our love packs. She said, I just love doing the love packs or the, or the, the houseless blessing bags that we do. She says, because I get a list, I follow the list exactly. I put it together. I have a task that I'm completed and then I turn it in. Mm. And so as a director, that was a great way for her to serve. Yeah. But she's not leading the love packs. She's just participating. So you can do, does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Yes. Then the other one, um, that is also more task oriented than people oriented is the one called thinker. And I'm pretty sure this is where you fall. I'm a thinker. You're a thinker. And so a thinker, the difference between a thinker and a director, a thinker is more task oriented, but they are more unstructured in how they serve. So an unstructured person would prefer to be told, Hey, put together, um, put together a program and you decide how you're going to do it. And that's what a unstructured person would do. It's like you arrange it how you want to do it, but you still want task completion in anything you do. So a thinker is usually a little more laid back, very logical. A thinker usually values facts, figures, and data. Oh, that's interesting thinking about you because you do a lot of that. I like this one because this one fits my daughter that's across the table from me. A thinker usually enjoys argument and debate. Oh, yes, I do. I do. (laughs) And not necessarily to win. No. But to just open the conversation more. 
Yes, I love that because um, I really do love hearing different perspectives. And so when I enter a debate with somebody, it's not because I'm trying to triumph over them. It is because I want to hear like, okay, how are you thinking about this? Like what uh, could I learn something new from you that I didn't know before? And that exercise of debate forces me to think more deeply about whatever side I was taking before. And then sometimes at the end of the debate, I'm, I do this with my partner all the time. I'm like, yeah, I think you're right on that one. Yeah. And I have no problem saying that. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. And, and just like every list of characteristics, there's going to be some that don't fit an individual. For example, on thinker, there's also often a thinker is slow to decide because they have analysis paralysis. That is not the case with you. You have the gift of discernment. You're quick to decide. So my gift kind of impacts the way I display my ministry style. Exactly, exactly. In some places, in some regard. So when you look at a list that says, these are the characteristics, they're not all going to be you, but they're going to be primarily you. Okay. And I think you would um, be the first to admit that you don't want to go in an environment that's just people oriented. You want to have a reason you're with people. Yeah. I I mean, I want to, um, I want to walk in knowing what we're trying to accomplish and what we're doing. Uh, I don't need all of the details around how we're doing that, but I want there to be a goal. And if I walk into a space, this is mixing in Enneagram with uh, spiritual gifts, but I'm an eight on the Enneagram. So if I walk into a space where there is no clear goal and clear leadership, I fill that void Mm -hmm. automatically. It's just, I step into that role and I say, okay, nobody here is in charge. Then I'm in charge (laughs) and I'm going to push this forward. Um, Because you want task completion. Yes. And whereas a director not only values the results, they value how you get to the results. Mm. A thinker values the end results and doesn't really care how you arrive at it. Yeah. So if the process changes halfway through, you're fine as long as the end result happens. So that's a little different in director and thinker. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So let's do the people oriented ones. You said you're a pleaser. I'm a pleaser. So I'm going to actually start with dreamer. Okay. So a dreamer is the person that gets their energy from being more people oriented. It doesn't mean that there's not tax completion. It just means that they have more people interaction than they, than not. And so, but a dreamer is somebody, and again, I, you know, the, the name people are like, what? And so, you know, don't get caught up in the name. But a dreamer is structured, like we talked about in the director. So they like to know everything, all the expectations, everything laid out for them. But they want a little bit more people interaction in their serving environment. So they're usually very outgoing. They're usually very creative. They love to have fun. They are the people that focus more on the big picture mm-hmm. and can see the big picture. And they're, they're people that when you talk to them, they have eye contact with you. 
It's like, you know, you were in a relationship with them because they looked at you the entire time. They weren't looking away and looking for other things. So those are just some examples of somebody that's a dreamer. It's not a head in the clouds thing, Mm -hmm. which is what we think of with the word. When I think of a dreamer, I think of someone who is willing to sit in a moment. Yeah. And however long that moment needs to last, they lean into that. And as someone like me, who's more task oriented, I'm like, okay, what's the next thing that we need to be doing? Um, And it sounds like they don't feel the need to do that. No, they're, they're, they're very much um, in the moment. You're right. That's a good way to put it. They're, um, they can be very persuasive. They can be very opinionated, but it's still, that people interaction is so much important with them. A lot of times dreamers talk with their hands. So they're very demonstrative in, in how they do things and get things done. But most important to them is being in a environment that's people oriented. Now, because they're structured, they like relationships that are consistent. So they would love being in an environment where they met the same people over and over and over again. Okay. I didn't even think of that in terms of structure, that structure could mean consistency as opposed to a point by point plan. Yes. Yes. It can also mean when it comes to people, it's consistent relationships, that that's what someone really values that's in that is a consistent relationship. And then pleaser, which is where I fall, is a pleaser is somebody who wants people interaction, but also wants generally described responsibilities, just like we talked about for you. So more people interaction. Um, The pleaser is someone who's people oriented, can be usually pretty diplomatic, very flexible. A people, a pleaser is very flexible. I used to say that I like a plan so I can throw it out. Mm-hmm. because that's how I roll. I like to come in with a plan, but I have absolutely no problem ditching it halfway yeah. through and having a different plan because I like the flexibility. The The pleaser holds agenda secondary to relationships. Just like I said, throw the plan away. We need to do a relationship thing here. Um, <laughs> a pleaser dislikes conflict, and that can get you in trouble. Trust me, I've gotten into trouble because I don't like conflict. And so that can be difficult. But a pleaser is one of the most hardworking people you have. They're very reliable. They want everyone to be happy. And this is when that really resonated for me because I want everybody to be happy to the point where I will extend a conversation beyond where it needs to be extended so that they get to happy. And sometimes people just aren't going to get to happy. (laughs) And so that's hard. Now, I am so unstructured that I am off the chart. I am as unstructured as you can get. Yet there is not anybody that would say I'm unorganized. Yeah, you're definitely a planner. I'm a planner, but it's my plan. I don't function well in an environment when someone says, here's the plan, follow it. Yeah. And so when that happens, I have to realize right away, this is not a serving opportunity for me. Do you do well in an environment where you walk in and whoever is leading that there is no plan? No, no. I like them to, because I'm also very close to equal on task and people oriented. I like, I like the leader to know what they're doing. Yeah. And just like you, if the leader doesn't know what they're doing, I tend to want to take over and step into that role because I don't have to have the A, B's and C's ahead of time. So I can make them up myself and have a general, you know, and when I teach classes, I never come in without a plan, but I rarely follow it. Mm. Rarely. 
because I can assess the moment. I can assess what's going on around me and what the people need. A good example of that is I teach the same Bible study at noon and in the evening. And based on things, at, I will sometimes have a completely different set of questions for the different groups of people because mm-hmm. I've gotten to know them and I know how they'll respond. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's an example of that. A pleaser also likes spontaneous relationships. That also goes with a thinker too, like spontaneous relationships. I am completely comfortable with having new people every week. And I do that with the next steps classes. I'm meeting new people all the time. I don't need to have the same people over and over again. I am comfortable with spontaneity. Okay. So that's a little bit about those. And it really does make a difference. A real life example I can share with you is... um, my passion, which we haven't gotten to yet, but by my passion is teaching the Bible in easy and unexplainable ways. My spiritual gift is teaching and my ministry style is pleaser. And so there is this wonderful program called Walk to Emmaus. And I was asked to be a table leader for Walk to Emmaus. And I thought, this is great. I have a passion for teaching the Bible and I have the gift of teaching. And so I signed up to be a table leader and it was the most miserable experience of my life. Yeah. And do you because know why? I'll, of course I know why I've been on that uh, whole exploration. It's too structured. It's and too you structured. cannot deviate from the structure because there is so little time uh, for each element that you can't get off point for a moment. And it is a valuable weekend but it is not a valuable place for me to serve Mm -hmm. because not only was I in trouble the entire weekend because I kept deviating from the plan, but I can't help but think that because I was uncomfortable, those that I was leading were probably experiencing discomfort as well. So it's not an environment for me to serve in. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's not valuable. It means it's not for me to serve in that environment. Well, one of the things that I like about this spiritual gifts and ministry style uh, process where it, it, it sounds kind of negative, but it's not, is it gives you permission to say no to things. Because I think that one of the things uh, around serving and caring for each other we can get caught up in guilt really quickly of, oh, I really don't want to teach that Sunday school class, but they told me they don't have any th- anyone else. And I feel like I need to help and, you know, all of these things. But this is kind of giving you permission to be like, you know what? My gift is not teaching. My ministry style does not align with this. My passion, uh, nobody's going to ever ask me to do anything with children because that is not my passion. Um So I I think that it's interesting in helping us realize, you know, we don't need to be force fitting service into our lives. We can look for things that God has prepared us to take joy in as we're serving. Well, and let's not forget, we're all called to volunteer every now and then. We're, uh, you know, our church is doing something special and we volunteer. Our children's class is doing something and we need to volunteer. But serving is all about loving God and loving people. And this is going to be more, serving is more in an environment that you're going to do regularly in some way or form. So what what would you say is the difference between serving and volunteering? Volunteering to me is just, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. And showing up and doing it and you you don't really care about it and it has value 
to somebody, but it's not something that you want to make a difference. Mm -hmm. When you discover your passion, you discover a place you want to make a difference. Okay. Well, let's talk about passion for a moment, because that was one of the things in the gifted to serve discovery. So I went through this quiz and it spit out for me instantly. Here are your gifts. Here is your ministry style. But then passion, it's a self exploration of what is it that I could be interested in. And I almost wish there was a quiz that was like, here's your passion. But is there a reason it wasn't set up that way? Passion is something you have to discover. And the only way to discover it is by trying things. And that's, that's something that you have to experience to realize because your passion is where you want to make a difference. It's where you want to almost like think of it as the burning bush moment. Moses standing in front of the burning bush and having his whole life change in that moment. It's where you become so entrenched in an idea or a, a group of people that you want to make a difference. And passion Unlike spiritual gifts, passion can be for a season or a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So you can be passionate about doing something for a very short period of time. And that passion can move on to something else. A lot of times the mistake we make is we continue serving when our passion has waned. Mm -hmm. And passion is what motivates us. And so when we continue serving, it has turned from this beautiful serving moment to drudgery. Oh, I have to go do this today because you're not passionate about it anymore. Mm -hmm. So passion, I always encourage people to try different things. Hey, I have the spiritual gift of teaching. And all I had to do was try one week of teaching children to know I didn't have a passion for little kids. That doesn't mean I don't love my own and I don't love my own grandkids, but you put me in a room with a bunch of little kids and I am looking at my watch in five minutes and going, when is this going to be over? So I had to even realize, okay, that's not, I'm passionate about sharing the Bible, but not to anybody under sixth grade. I I experienced the same thing of, um, there was a long period of time, I think three or four years that I was serving incarcerated youth. And that was such a meaningful experience. Um, And, but it did, it got to the point towards the end of it that I had become extremely jaded. I um, was not looking forward to the long drive that I had. And in the beginning, I didn't care how long I had to drive. I would drive two hours one way to be able to serve in any way that I could. And it got to the point that I just had a, a chip on my shoulder going out there. And I realized I am not helpful to these youth. Like I am not a source of light that they desperately need. Um, And so I had to bow out of that. And it was really hard when I've committed to something for three to four years. And then there are people who serve within those ministries who are lifelong servants, and they've been doing ministry and service with incarcerated youth for 15, 20 years. And so for me to do it for three or four years, and then say, you know what, I don't think this is for me anymore. It's really difficult to do because some people just don't understand it. And here's something to say even more about that. When somebody is passionate about something, 
they often don't quite understand why everybody around them isn't equally passionate about it. Mm. And a great example of this is I'm, I'm absolutely passionate about short-term mission trips. I think short-term mission trips make a difference. I was a youth minister for years and years and years, and sp- short-term mission trips make a huge difference. I constantly asked my husband, who actually was in construction at the time, to go with us on short-term mission trips. And he would say, you know, I don't, I, I don't have a desire to do that. I'd ask him again every year. He would turn me down. And finally, one time he used my own language against me. He said, you know, I'm just not passionate about a short-term mission trip. And I realized at that moment that he would not have been helpful Mm. on the trip because he wouldn't have wanted to be there. Um, I also personally think he didn't like the fact that I would have been his boss, but that's another story. <laughs> we can we can delve into that one another time. But well, so with passions, is it um, we're exploring different areas of ministry that you could be passionate about? Because some of the things that you do offer some options in this gifted to serve discovery of what are some things that you could be interested in? It lists things in like children, youth, but it also gets more specific. And it talks about one of the things on the list was politics. One of the things was reproductive rights. One of the things was women's rights. One of the things was LGBTQ community. Like, and so it gets very specific around what your passion could be. So is it just finding a group of people that you're passionate about serving? Yeah, you just need to, sometimes it's like you you said about incarcerated youth. Hey, you didn't grow up with a family member in prison. You didn't grow up in an environment where you had experienced that, but somebody invited you to come along. And when you went on that first thing, that first trip, you were like, I think I could really be passionate about this. And by the way, the gift of discernment was completely helpful in that environment. Oh, it was extremely helpful. But passion, where we make a big mistake. My ministry style was not helpful in that environment because uh, the prison system, as you could imagine, extreme structure, unlike anything you've ever seen before, no flexibility whatsoever. And that was always really hard on me. So it is kind of like force fitting that puzzle piece of my spiritual gift worked really well in that environment, but my ministry style did not. Yeah. And so that's probably why your passion kind of ebbed a little. Yeah. Yeah, Because you were trying to sign everything with the wrong hand. Um, But A lot of times we think spiritual gifts, because we say it's to love God and love people, we think it's all about serving within the church. And 90% of it is not serving within the church. We can love God and love people outside the church. So your passion does not have to have anything to do with the church whatsoever. And that's why we offer, you know, for you to think more broadly. I know a handful of people that are so passionate about animals and they love God and love people by serving animals. There's something beautiful about that. We don't offer any animal rescue programs within the church, yet they're serving on a regular, consistent basis. So what's your passion right now? So I actually have two. I am passionate about sharing the Bible in easy and biblical 
understand the Bible in easy, understandable ways. That passion has been with me since I was in my 30s, and it has not left. Um, I've refined it by saying sixth grade and up. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised you'll go as low as sixth grade. Well, I might. You know, now that I've gotten older, I might say... College and up. up. College (laughs) and up. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so that, and then my other passion, you know, I, I mentioned short term mission trips, but I, and, and well, first of all, let me go back. My passion of teaching the Bible, I get to do that weekly. That's something that I live into on a weekly basis. But my passion, my other passion is I just firmly feel strongly that life, that short term mission trips make a difference. And I serve on a board of an organization that um, provides sustainable housing and keeps families together because of that. And I'm passionate about that. And I go to three meetings a year Mm -hmm. and then I go on a mission trip with them maybe once every four years. So passion doesn't have to be weekly. It can be, I mean, I know people that are passionate about habitat and they serve on a build and then they take a couple of years off. And then they serve again. And so it can be things like that. One of the, when I was kind of exploring my passions, I was going through um, the the different areas that I could specifically be passionate about. Because I've always struggled with that of like, and part of it I think is age of like, it takes time to figure out what your passions are. But one of the things that I've discovered about myself within the past few years that almost everything points to is I'm passionate to serve people who have been hurt by the church. When I look at the way that I do my job, the people that I'm in relationship with and community with, the conversations I thoroughly enjoy having with people about in bars about spirituality um, and trying to better understand like, hey, what's your spiritual upbringing? Um, I think that that all feeds into this passion of people who have been hurt uh, by religion. And it's one of those things that I've kind of been on my own of how do I serve this? Because there aren't a lot of organizations that specifically serve that group of people. That's changing. There are new organizations forming every day that specifically serve uh, this group of people. But um, yeah, it's really interesting to do that self-discovery. Well, and let's take you as a real life example. So you've expressed that as your passion. We have learned that you have the spiritual gift of discernment and knowledge and that your ministry style is in the quadrant that is more task oriented and generally described. So as a thinker, so where, how could you combine that? So yes, you need to have those conversations, but where you're struggling now is you also want to have a task. I want to do something. I want to do something to help. So podcasts is an example of something you have done to have that. You've had panel discussions on things very much like this that that you share. You've had um, opportunities within your own church home where you have done this kind of where it's a little bit more than just sharing. It's some practical things. And so the fact that you like a serving environment that's generally generally described serves you well right now because like you said, there's not a lot out there. So this is a, a good place for you. And I would even recommend some of discovering more your passion might be reading some books mm-hmm. and and 
and reading that to help you gain some even more understanding. So yeah, that's a great example. Because ultimately, passion is the where we want to serve. And when you serve, just like we've already said, within your passion, you're more motivated. So you can combine your spiritual gift and ministry style into something that's not your passion and still be very satisfied with the work that you're doing. But pouring that into something that is your passion is what truly like sets you on fire uh, and, and makes you feel fulfilled. Yeah. I'll give you a great example from my own life. So, um, in my former life, I was an accountant. That's what my degree is in. And I actually was an accountant for all of six years and hated it, but that's another story. But, um, when you and your sister were elite swimmers in the North Texas swim conference, um, they asked me to be the treasurer of the entire North Texas conference. And so I was happy doing that. I had the skills to do it and I did the job well. Um, it was, it was helpful for the organization. It was a way for me to serve while y'all were swimming. The minute neither of you were swimming anymore, I quit. And I remember someone saying to me, why are you quitting? Aren't you passionate about this? It's like, no, Mm-hmm. I was never really passionate about it. It was just a way. It was my gift could, and it was my, my style. Yeah, so I appreciated, appreciated it. it. But as soon as my kids weren't in it anymore, yeah. I had no reason to be there. Yeah. It wasn't something that I needed to, to do anymore. It was something that I, you know, was, and it was a long-term serving opportunity. And I have no doubt that I loved God in that envi- position and that I served people in that position, but I wasn't passionate about it at all. Mm. And so... Um, I was at my one goal was to make a difference while y'all were in swimming the minute y'all weren't in it. I didn't care anymore. <laughs> so, so to wrap all of this up, why do you think it is important to know my spiritual gifts? If you serve within your passion, your spiritual gift and your ministry style, you're going to be more motivated. You're going to be more competent, and you're going to be more confident. All of that makes a huge difference in how you serve and how those you are serving feel Mm. when they receive that. It is, I mean, there, we've all been in environments, we already talked about losing our motivation, but we've all been in environments where we don't feel confident that's when you're serving outside of your ministry style. You were talking about that in the prison. It just feels kind of something's wrong. This gives me the mm-hmm. heebie-jeebies a little. And then you, when you feel more competent, it's when you're serving within your giftedness because this is what you were gifted to do. I, you know, there's some, you have the gift of discernment. Discernment's one of my lowest. So if I'm in an environment where my main task is to be the person that decides to be the conflict resolver, that is not gives that doesn't give me any confidence whatsoever. I second guess and my brain goes left and right. I mean, I was in a meeting recently where we had to vote and at least 15 times in that meeting, I changed my mind. Mm. Because that's not my, that's not my mode of operandi. So yeah. So basically, passion tells you the where, spiritual gifts tell you the what, and ministry style tells you the how, so that you'll be more motivated, confident, and competent. All right. 
Well, thank you for uh, joining me to have this conversation. And if any of this uh, has interested you listeners, uh, don't forget, you can take, we've mentioned it a million times, but you can take the Gifted to Serve Discovery at tmumc.org slash gifted. I'll include a link to that uh, in this episode description. And I hope that you'll, you'll take that step to discovering your spiritual gifts because it really does make a difference. Um, and I love the point that you made, uh, not only how you serve, but the way that the people feel who are being served, um, because that's why we do it. We do it to uplift uh, this community of Christ and out beyond this community of Christ. And so, uh, yeah, I, I hope that y'all will take that initiative and get started. And it takes everybody. And there's not one gift that's more important than any other, because it takes everybody. And if you can't tell, I get pretty excited about this stuff. So I would love having conversations to go further. Yeah. If you join the class, then uh, Denise will be the person you're talking to about all of this information. And you can go into a deep dive on your spiritual gifts instead of on mine and my mom's spiritual <laughs> gifts. <laughs> yeah. Cause we just scratched the surface. Yep. The life plus God podcast is hosted, written and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org. And I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.